I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little, son. My bucket up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. We're up. Episode 182 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace Podcast. This is kind of freaking cool, but before I started recording, um, everybody, Chris Renbridge, Nine Records. Um, what's really cool is that this is dropping on September 25th, which is uh, 925 Bridge Nine Records, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the label. What's going on, my man? Not much. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Ah, and, dude, anytime, man. And, and it's, it's the 25th anniversary. And then plus you were just, you were just so cool about it. Like I was like, this is what I have open. This is what I could do. And it just turned out to be perfect. And I didn't even put two and two together that it's bridge nine. You picked September 25th. I didn't even yeah. put two and two together. I thought it was like the actual anniversary. When you said 925 was available, I said, let's do it. Yeah. Perfect. And it worked for me. So here we are, man. Um, Born and raised in Boston, I guess. Obviously. No, so I'm, I'm actually originally from Connecticut. Um, I grew up right in the middle of like I was pretty much in Red Sox territory in Connecticut, in Central Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but I was I was there through high school, and then uh, ended up in Boston about 22 years ago. Okay. See, I, I'm 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 45. Well, I'm going to be 45 next week. But um, well, actually, when this when this airs, I'm 45. Um, I grew up, I mean, obviously Brooklyn, born and raised, New York City, got introduced from metal into hardcore, and then obviously I'm a New York hardcore kid, so that's like what I really know, like no, no, because that's obviously my surroundings and that's my whole deal, but I'm familiar, of course, with a bunch of Boston bands, but I don't know like the history of like Slapshot that I do, like AF probably yep. just because of geography and just what I'm immersed in and the people I'm around. You know what I mean? So yeah. I do, I am fairly hip to the whole Boston scene, but not so much. So I'm not going to come on here and pretend like I'm this, you know, hardcore uh, expert guy. You know what I mean? So like these, there's always a couple of questions that I like to ask people like, it's it's so tacky and cliche, but it's something that I'm always interested in. Like, what was playing, like, in your house, like, in the background, like, as a kid? Were your parents mu music people? Like, what what was your gateway into finding punk rock and hardcore? Well, so full disclosure, I come from a long line of New Yorkers. You know, my, I'm my not dad... i but you're a Red my, Sox fan, <laughs> so there's an asterisk that goes next to yeah. My, my, my dad's from the Bronx. My mom's from New Rochelle. I was born in New Rochelle. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've, I've had, a, I, I grew up around New York, uh, obviously a lot of family from New York. So I was, I spent every holiday in New York. Um, but my, my dad ended up in Connecticut for work and, nice. you know, grew up there. I, I, my, my parents, my dad was 
real into, you know, like the Beach Boys. Um, there's, um, you know, Smokey Robinson, um, sure. big vinyl collection, you know, in the house, but it was not something that I necessarily connected with personally myself. Um, I, I think, so I'm going to be 45 later this year. I think you and I have had a similar journey where, you know, I was a, a teenage metalhead and skateboarder uh, who found his way into punk rock and hardcore through, through metal. Yeah. And, um, yeah, probably. I found it by, um, I found it by completely by accident, like almost. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. It was, I mean, there's somebody who actually wrote a review on my iTunes. Like, yeah, I'll I'll still give it five stars, but enough with the same story, Jim. And then he writes out like (laughs) the exact story that I've said like five times on here. So I'll just make the abridged version. I was, um, I went to Lemoore's to see Suicidal Tendencies. And it was White Zombie, then Leeway, then Suicidal. And Leeway came on, and it changed my whole shit. It changed my whole thing. It was, that oh, was, like, that was like November or December 89. And yeah. I was, it changed me. I went to the record store the next day. I bought Born to Expire, and the guy who sold it to me was like, if you like this, then you'll like this. And he gave me cassette tape. It was um, Agnostic Front, Liberty, and Justice for. Nice. Very both, very yeah, metal nice. crossover records, but it's a perfect segue in. You know what I mean? I yeah. lost you. Uh, your video? I'm getting a call. All <laughs> right. Wait, hold on. Here we go. Okay. Is that better? Yeah. It's, um, listen, it's yeah, a punk yeah, rock, rock thing. These things happen. I had, I mean, I, Leeway, you know, I remember seeing Leeway on, on Headbanger's Ball. And, you know, that was an early crossover. Um, sure. Kind of influence yeah kingpin sure when i saw yep. them that when i saw them desperate measures was recorded but it wasn't released yet and they did a few songs off of it like they did futures what not what it used to be who's to blame they did a few but they opened up with rise and fall and that shit just changed my life i had That's a awesome. mul- i had a mullet going on like an anthrax t-shirt <laughs> yep and there it was man yeah yeah i, I you know similarly i I was more into thrash metal and, sure. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the New York hardcore bands were featured in thrash metal magazines, whether it was like metal maniacs. And I remember early on, you know, I was, I was really into the, um, uh, road, like Roadrunner catalog. So a lot of the, a lot of that stuff, there was Sepultura or obituary. Yeah. Um, and following that, you know, those bands, I think Roadrunner was one of the first times that I was really into following a label. And then checking out everything they were putting out. And then through the coverage that I saw in magazines of those bands, was exposed to bands like Agnostic Front and Chromags, stuff like that. Of course. Yeah, Roadrunner was one of those labels, man. They put out like the early Life of Agony stuff, the Typo Negative stuff, all that shit, man. So they they were kind of a label that I was kind of keeping my eye on as well. Independent label, but putting out great stuff for a long time. Yeah, man. So. Yeah. I mean, I just why I wanted to just know like how you like got into this kind of stuff, and then I mean, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll go into it. We can go into it right now. But first of all, the, the pictures that you sent me of you flipping off stages and shit, brilliant! Like, awesome. <laughs> it's like it's like the few, and then, and then I found a couple more because I was I was creeping around trying to find pictures and shit, and there's like five pictures that I saw you like in midair flipping in midair. Like that's all this guy does is like jump from high places onto people, which it, is great. It, <laughs> it, it was, I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I think in high school and, and uh, 
in early in college, I was really into snowboarding and, and doing, you know, upside down stuff, doing flips. And so when I would be at hardcore shows, I always want to be, you know, I wasn't so much tearing it up in the pit as I was jumping off stage. Yeah. So, you were a high flying guy. That's funny. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Shit. So do you remember what your first like hardcore show was? Uh, and who yeah, played that? I, what's that? And like who, who was on that bill? It, so it was probably early on in, it was, it was like local Connecticut bands. Okay. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe uh, I remember seeing sick of it all in new Haven. Um, you know, he's always amazing live. Oh, incredible. incredible. Back then too, there was, I mean, it was a little bit, a little bit sketchier, you know, with, with sick of all. Sure. Um, and then, and, and some routes, but yeah, I think probably, uh, between the, I used to go down to the sports palace in new Britain. Um, and the, uh, the tune in in new Haven. So any bands that came through there. Yeah. Pretty dope, man. So now what, what was your whole deal as far as, I mean, once again, congratulations on 25 years of running an independent record label, which is, is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, me, I have no idea what goes into that kind of stuff. It's got to be a ridiculous amount of behind-the-scenes work, like ridiculous that people don't even realize or even probably appreciate unless they're on the label and they get it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's like, what, does, what made you decide to go into, into that? Like, so, you know, when the, that all come about, man? You know, in the mid-'90s, everyone that I was friends with, it seemed like, was... was in, they were active in some way. Most of the people I was friends with were in bands, but if they weren't in a band, they were taking photos of shows, they were doing fanzines, they were doing distros, stuff like that. So I just wanted to contribute. I was doing demo covers for friends' bands, designing t-shirts and you know buttons and things like that. Sure. And when I, when I moved, because I was in Vermont for college, so I was far away from you know my hometown scene, and I just wanted to do something to, to, to stay connected. Um, give me a reason to, you know, go back more to Connecticut, kind of give me this kind of, you know, project to work on. So I, uh, friends of mine that I, I went to college with that were actually more familiar with like the, the CBGB scene that were from New York, New Jersey that, that were going to school in Vermont, um, said, you should just try and put out a record with, you know, we know some guys that have done it and, and they kind of helped me connect the dots and, um, friends of mine that were, that I went to high school with were in a band and they, you know, had kicked their singer out and they wanted to release something new. So it was just kind of like the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know? Were you ever in a band? No, no, I was never in a band. I think that's what attracted me, attracted me to doing a label was because yeah. I, you know, I just, I, I wanted to do something and, yeah. and I, I had no, I'd never fronted, you know, I never sang, I'd never right. really played an instrument. So yeah, I, I, I can't play no instrument. It's terrible. I can't play nothing. I tried when I was younger, you know, metalhead yeah. watching Anthrax videos and like you <laughs> know, my long hair. And like, you know, of course, as a kid, like you want to do something like that. I took like a couple of guitar lessons here and there. There was um, yeah. the original the original drummer for Biohazard, Anthony Mio. He's on the first demo, the first two demos. Like my sister was friends with him. So 
he had a drum kit. And I got like my first tattoo with that guy, but he gave me like a couple of drum lessons. I, I'm a spaz, man. I don't know what's yeah. going on. I have no coordination. So I always said that if I was ever, ever to be in a band, I would have to sing, but it just never happened. You know what I mean? I would always go to shows. I would do flyers for bands. I would help out this and that, you know, I booked shows for a little while and then I wound up doing this once, you know, once I was over booking shows, you know, yep. so the same thing, just something to do to help out, you know, to help out a band to help. All right. I might not know these three other guys in the band, but like, I'm really cool with the singer or the guitar player. So, all right, cool. Let's, let's do something. I'll help you out. Or at least try, even if it's a little small scale, if they get some people to watch you and they buy a few t-shirts, cool. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like, it's never about money. I don't make money doing this shit at all. You know what I mean? I put a lot of yep. time into it as far as doing flyers and promoting and doing this stuff, but I enjoy it. So I'll, I won't stop unless I feel like it's a job, you know? And I, I I was in the same boat. Like I took drum lessons as a kid. I mean, I think I took saxophone for a little while. I just, I had no attention span. So I, no, I, just couldn't, I couldn't commit to it. And, you know, it just, but it, when you come up in, in the hardcore and punk scene, it's, there is a, a community there and you just, you, you know, I just wanted to be involved. I wanted to do something actively. And that's kind of what drew me to it. Yeah, man. So do you, who was the, who was the first band that was, first of all, for those that don't know, what, what, how did you come up with Bridge Nine? So I originally wanted to call it Bridge Records. And okay. coincidentally, there, that, are, that, that already exists. There's a label called Bridge Records uh, from New Rochelle, incidentally, really? uh, that does classical music. So when I realized that, um, I was headed to a show in Boston from Vermont and staring out the window and I, every bridge on one of the one of the highways had us had a number with a, a sign next to it and i just happened to catch the one that said bridge nine and i was like well number nine has always been it's you know it's uh, it, it pops up all the time in my life so i was like you know what uh, i'm just gonna call it bridge nine i wanted something that didn't really have a meaning you know at the time a lot of the people that i knew that were you know friends of mine that had labels had like these very descriptive label names and i wanted something that had no like real meaning something that the label would kind of define itself yeah um with a bridge you know i like the idea that it, it, it unites two separate places kind of brings yeah. them together so that was kind of the the idea that i had initially and then i don't know i thought adding the number had a nice ring to it there you go it doesn't have to be more deep or complicated than that man that's awesome yeah you know? it's very cool so do you remember who the first band was? Oh, of course you remember who the first band was that you released on Bridge Nine? Yeah, so well the first the first release was a split seven inch. It was with this band Tenfold that was from my hometown. Um the band itself never really did much. They didn't play outside of New England really. Um two of the guys when the band broke up, two of them started in my eyes in Boston. Okay. Um a couple of the guys, the, the same guys were also in Fast Break from Connecticut. Um, Jesse Stanhard played bass and he went on to form Right Brigade and he was in American Nightmare and, and, and some other bands. Um, so they, they're kind of what they did afterwards kind of defined more of what Tenfold was. Um, I didn't, so they, we only, they only had, I think three songs. So we decided to do a split. Sure. And I remember initially at the time, I actually, I'd been in touch with One King Down. So I wanted to see if we could do a split with them. Um, and they were doing an album or, or something with equal vision at the time. So they weren't able to do it. Yeah. And 
the guys in Tenfold were close with this band, some of all fears that were also from Connecticut. And they had some, I think, some demo songs that they had recorded. So I've heard of we, them. I don't think I'm very familiar with the music, but I've heard of them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the first deal. That and was it. it. You know, it, it, must, it, must, it must be, the, I'm sure you've had like these kind of moments, because obviously you're a hardcore kid and you grew up with these bands and going crazy to these bands and listening to these bands and, and connecting with these bands on a certain level. And then for you, I'm sure that at a certain point to have certain bands on your label and then to have the amount of the amount of bands on your whole roster, it's it's that you had to have must have you must have have had like an oh shit moment every once in a while. You know oh, what I mean? Without, without a doubt. Well, I mean, it's like you with with, you know, with your podcast, like you didn't think it was going to grow into something where you're having, you know, over 100 episodes. Right. Like. No, you know, they, from, and, and not even that. Like, I, they, there was so many people that I've had on that I never thought I would ever speak to. Like, like have, like, a regular conversation like me and you were having. Like, yeah, at a show. Hey, what's up, yo? You guys were great tonight, blah, blah, blah. Hey, what's going on? How you doing, blah? Like, like, that's it. Like, hello, goodbye, because it's a show and things are going on and this and that. But to actually sit down and you know, have a conversation and get into some, some things that I never knew. And, and I've grown, I've had, I've developed friendships with a lot of people that I've had on the show. And, you know, I mean, this, I mean, there's countless amount of people, like, like right before we recorded, like I just came off of doing a total of 11, 10 episodes with all of the Bane guys, past and present, you know, well, final lineup and then past members, a tour manager. And then I ended it off with the guys that made the documentary. It's like, I never thought I would ever do that ever in a million years, you know, yeah. you know, so, and, and, and that's one silver lining about this whole COVID thing on a selfish level is, is this whole zoom thing, because I was very staunch with, I won't do it over the phone. I won't do it via Skype. I won't, it has to be face to face organic conversation. Yeah. And Zach from Bain, I was chasing him around for like two and a half years trying to between life and geography. It just never happened. So once this happened, we did it. And he was like, oh, you should try to get the other guys. I was like, all right. So I, I reached out to, and they were like, oh yeah, let's go. Bang, bang, bang. And it just happened to be, it's like, fuck it. Let me just make a whole series out of it. I never thought that would happen. That's you know, awesome. that, was like a, that was like an old shit moment for me. You know, certain things like that. Well, that, that's, that's kind of what it was with, with the label. I mean, you don't have any, you know, when you're 19 years old and you want to start a label, you don't think like it's going to, there was no business plan. Right. You know, there was just like, hey, my friends are in a band. Um, yeah. They want to put something out new because they kick the vocalist out. So they, they have a new singer. It's a little bit different sound. So let's just do it. And it, it was a matter of networking, you know, uh, talking with people that knew how to do it and kind of like showed me the right way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I always have to give him a shout out, but Scott Bybin from Bloodlink Records, you know, he was the first person I called and, and he was the one that, that told me, hey, this is the pressing plant you should use. This is how you should go about uh, structuring your, you know, like the arrangement and, and, and how you're going to get things pressed and where you should get, you know, the record covers printed. So, um, I was very lucky to be able to, to chat with some people that pointed me in the right direction. Sure. And, you know, I don't even think there was a catalog number on the first record. Cause I didn't know if there was going to be a second, right. You know, it was, I put it out, see what happens. I think we pressed, you know, we pressed a thousand or so copies. Do you have a um, copy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've kept one of everything, so I have you know okay. a, a, like an archive. But like, it was it wasn't 
meant to be anything beyond just kind of documenting what was happening, you know, in the Connecticut scene at that moment and just making it available for people. This is obviously pre-internet. You know, if you wanted to hear some new songs from a band, you got to go pick up the record. Yeah. So you have to leave your house. You have to do some work, you have <laughs> yeah. to put some time in, you have to have a passion. You have to have, you know, that's, a, I mean, I've, I've, I sound like the old man, get off my lawn, but a lot of kids nowadays, they'll, they'll never know that. They'll never know. You know, I mean, I've said it several times on here too. Like kids nowadays don't know about tape trading. You know, yeah. you go in the, you go in the back of a zine and like, there's some, some guy that I don't even, I can't even pronounce his name because he's from some weird country in like Europe, but he has like this band, like this obscure band that I never heard of, but it's like, it's like a Polish death metal band. I'm like, that only has a demo out, but all right. It has sick artwork. All right. Yep. So I'll put like $6 in an envelope with like red wrap it in paper and put stamps all over it hoping that I address it correctly because addresses over there are completely different. I don't know what goes yeah. on what line and then forget about it. And then like a month later, I get this crazy envelope with stamps all over it. And holy shit, there's the tape that I forgot about. And it's like, it's, it's just a cool thing. And you go in your room and you open it, you read the lyrics. If it's in English and you listen to it, sometimes it's terrible. And sometimes it's, it rules, you know, yeah. there's a whole experience and a ritual that I used to do all the time that I think that, what makes me appreciate these things even more. Plus, I'm yeah. old. You know, it's funny that that reminds me of something that I, I thought of recently that I hadn't thought of for years. But when kids from overseas back in the 90s would mail order from me, you know, I was um, probably between 95 and 98. I was in a college dorm in Vermont. And I would get these random mail orders uh, sent to me. And anyone overseas always would put, I think, glue on their stamps and then okay. so that way, when, when the stamps were postmarked in their country, mm -hmm. it, it would be on top of the glue. And then they would ask you to cut the stamps out, put them back in the order. So like if they ordered a seven inch, yeah. to, you know, cut the stamps off, put them back in the, in the, the package <laughs> and mail them back to them. So right. you could take them off and, and take the postmark off. them again. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, that was, that was a very common thing that, that, that kids from overseas would do. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. There, was a whole, well, I mean, there was a whole bunch of shit that went along with all this stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it, especially back then, it was so expensive to communicate. Um, oh, yeah. So you had to cut whatever corners you could. Yeah, and forget about, I mean, there was no cell phones. There was, there was like, kids nowadays, like, even now, like, who has a landline anymore? Does anyone even have a landline? I mean, yeah. if you do, I mean far and few between but there was like the long distance phone call you know what i yeah. mean it's like i'd get in trouble i'd call overseas i'd get my mother would get the phone bill yell at me what are you doing like <laughs> you know people it's 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 just such a lost thing and it's just i don't know i think back at all that stuff a lot lately because i think i'm getting older i don't know what it is but everything is nostalgic to me um yeah, yeah. so I mean, like I said, I mean, there's certain bands, like, for some weird reason, I don't know why, probably because they represent, I don't know, they represent, it seems, a lot, Bridge Nine. Like, whenever I think Bridge Nine, I think that before the song. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just, oh, you see Brian, he has, he has a Bridge Nine shirt on, constantly. So it's like, you know, bands like, I mean, you guys, I mean, Jesus, I made, I made the flyer. I don't even know how many band names I put on there. I just went to your website and I was like, I hope this is still accurate. But I'm yeah. like, my eyes were like, 
I'm like, all right, so I'm writing them down, then I'm trying to fit them all in. I'm like, damn, man, like there's so many. But like every band from like, like, you know, Death Before the Sun, AF, Sick of It All, Terror, Cruel Hand, like Shark Attack, No Turning Back, like all these bands, even like old school bands like DYS, Wrecking Crew, Ten Yard Fight, like such an amazing catalog of 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 bands. Like I said, it must be like an oh shit moment for you that that you you've done something for two and a half decades that's pretty fucking special dude like to thank be you like us for real thank you thank you yeah it's 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 really i mean it's been an amazing journey and i've had the incredible opportunity to release records with so many great bands and you don't always know at the time that these are going to be great bands when you're doing right. it you know you and but then also be having the opportunity to work with bands that i looked up to and that i was excited to, to that i was a fan of before i even started the label it's it's yeah there's been a lot of very cool like wow i can't believe i could you know i'm able to do this moments yeah man so, so now oh, i was gonna say i mean there was supposed to be a, a 25th anniversary show right we're on podcast yeah. time so that was supposed to have happened last week yeah it was la- last week would have been on august 22nd what was it supposed to be can you say or i don't know yeah i mean it was it's so uh, it was going to be about 15 or so bands from the label's history. Um, you know, from all, you know, we've worked, like you said, with so many bands. So I, I just tried to pick as many that were available that could, that could kind of represent what the label has been for, you know, as, uh, as many years as it has been and just have a celebration of that. And, you know, we, man, we were, we've been talking about it for a year, trying to piece it together. And then it just kind of all fell apart at the end. So, I mean, everyone else too. I mean, it's, it's, we're all in the same boat. So absolutely, we'll, yeah. we'll deal with it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe hopefully if everything goes back to somewhat normal and there's, there's shows again in the near future, you do like, you know, it's, a, it's like a, a post dated, you know, 25th anniversary. Everyone will get it. Everyone will understand. You know, oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's a little late, but you know, yeah. you were in your house too. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. But now, now I want, I know it's probably a, a, you know, a sore spot, but then again, it's also reality. It's like you move, you, you, you know, I saw your posts and all that stuff. And, and obviously like every other business and everything like that, it, it, it's, it's taken a shot, right? Yeah. I'm, and so you're moving your, you want to get into that? I mean, I don't even know how to word it. Yeah. I ask you that. Yeah, of course. Well, so, I mean, this year has been tough. Obviously there's been so many curveballs that have been thrown at everybody for for me as a as a business owner, I mean, I, I have three businesses in our one building that we're in. Um, we have the record label, we have the uh, Boston centric sports brand Sully's, and a screen printing business called Liberated Images that does custom screen printing for for both Sully's and Bridge Nine, but anyone else bands that need that need merch. And how come I know, never, we've been doing? I never knew that. What's that? I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the the label started first. You know, it's twenty five. Sully's started twenty years ago, and and the screen printing business. Basically, the way what happened was the the, the record label was the start, the passion. Sure. Um, Sully's, the sports brand, was started to help fund the record label. So I needed money. Let's go find out ways to earn it elsewhere, and then funnel that into the label. Sure. And then we got to the point where we were printing so many t-shirts through our local print shop 
that we just said, you know what, let's, let's, let's do this ourselves, take it in-house and started a screen printing business uh, to complement it. Um, but since COVID started, we had, you know, initially we had to furlough most of our staff. Um, you know, more than half the people went on unemployment. Um, you know, the office was closed for something like six weeks. I, I was the only person for the most part that was coming in on a regular basis. Um, my girlfriend started coming in and working remotely from my office to help out. So she would do her shift at work and on, on our computer and then would help me pack orders and just deal with general stuff. But, you know, in addition to keeping everything moving in the absence of everybody, you know, I was now not only dealing with my always, you know, my day to day stuff that I always had to do, but I was dealing with packing the orders. Now for two companies, I was dealing with the customer service for two companies and making sure that all those parts were moving. But at the same time now, I think, all right, well, we're not selling many t-shirts, but we got to make bandanas. We got to make masks. We got to make all these other things. So now you're sourcing new products and designing new things. And so you end up, I, I mean, in the last five months, I've worked harder than I think I've ever worked. I'm and sure. it was, you know, it was tough because a lot of, a lot of people I knew were either, you know, uh, working remotely or working at half as much as they used to, or, you know, on just unemployment for the most part. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always meet in the meantime, just going out of my mind, trying to, to kind of keep up with everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, so on, you know, we find of kind of finally got a balance and as things have moved on and some things have chilled out a little bit, we've, we've been able to bring some of the employees back. Good. Nobody's full time, but a couple of days a week here it's and there. It's something, man. You know, it's something. Yeah, yeah, and and so that that has helped, um, and it's allowed me to kind of go back to focusing on some of the other, you know, bigger picture things that I've I've had to deal with. But in the middle of this, my my landlord hired a um, a real like a real estate agent to sell his building. You know, I think he's in his seventies. I mean, I get it. He's been, he's looking to, to cash out. Um, we've been renting from him for 13 years. We moved here in 2007 and you know, it's, it just, it is what it is. So, um, I've spent the last couple months just trying to consolidate whatever we have here, you know, sell, sell through certain things that we can just cleaning and organizing. I mean, when you've been in a, in a building for 13 years, you, you literally, there's stuff everywhere. Yeah, I mean, every, sure. Every so, yeah. So I've just been uh, trying to to deal with that, um, but at the same time, um, trying to lock down a a new space. Um, you know, just exploring uh, what our options are. Um, so yeah. So right now, I think when this airs, uh, we'll still be in the same boat, trying to figure things out. Um, but just trying to. I don't know, just uh, build up a little war chest where we can deal with. Is, the, is, how, how can people that are listening, like, how can, how can we help? Is there, is there like a GoFundMe page? Is there, is no, there, so, is there I, you any know, way, I, like, what we I, I hope it doesn't come to that. We're not trying to, I mean, we're not in, we're not in, uh, what's it called? I didn't want to alarm anybody. When we, when July, when we first announced, like, hey, things are happening, we might have, you know, at the time, like, we might have to move. I didn't want anyone to feel, like, uh oh, Bridge Nine's in trouble because we we're we're going to keep going. It's just it's going to get tough. So we were just asking people 
you know, like, Hey, if there's, if you can help us out and, you know, pick up some records, you know, buy some, some of the bridge nine merch, some of the t-shirts, you know, where, you know, we, we keep all the money from that. Like things like that will help. And that, you know, in July, we kind of had an open call and people were very cool. And we did a, a raid, the, you know, the bridge nine vault mystery sure. box and, and people were really into that. And, and so that definitely helped, but you know, over the next few months, we're going to probably, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're, we're saying like, Hey, you know, now we've got to deal with this and we got to get through to this point. So if there's something you're eyeing in the store, come through, pick it up, things like that. We're, we're, I mean, there are people in much worse shape than we are sure. that, that need the charity part of it. For us, it's just like, Hey, if you, if you can help support here and there, thank you. And, um, we're just hopefully going to keep going. Awesome. Bridge nine was it bridge nine.com. Right. Yeah. Bri- bridge with the number nine.com. Yeah. So, yeah, man. I mean, I'll definitely quick question. It just came to my head. Any, uh, any possibility that one of those maybe like United blood or victim in pain repress, maybe like, like test pressings might be available anywhere. <laughs> I, I, so a, a few people got them. I mean, we, we, we definitely, I, I, I was pulling test presses for, I mean, all the test presses went out in these mystery boxes. Every box had a test press. And I mean, I, I didn't hold back. You know, I wanted to make sure everyone got, got bang for their buck. Cause they were, you know, we were selling them for a hundred bucks for these box, you know, for like four records. And, and so I wanted to make sure everyone felt like it was worth their while. Yeah. And the feedback, the feedback was, was, was really awesome. Any more, any, any, any more laying around any, in the vault? I would, I would have to check. I actually just sent a couple to, to Busky for uh, designing the, the Buried Alive record for us. Oh, Busky. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So he, he, you he know got what? one of these. You just said that, and I, I just saw him post something about that. I think he, he posted a picture of that. That's right. Well, when, when that was coming together, we, I mean, Boney was tight, and we – we needed some help getting the, the layout knocked out. And, you know, he obviously has a, a strong connection with Louisville and with Barry Live. So sure. he offered to just design something last minute. I had been working on something and it wasn't fully coming together. So he jumped in and on a moment's notice, knocked something out. So when he did, I was like, right, when we get these records in, I'm going to send you something extra. Yeah. So, uh, he yeah, he's awesome. Stuff. He does great work. He's a great guy. I, I had him on a while back and he was super fun to, to bullshit with sitting in his <laughs> backyard. This you hear his pool and his dogs are running around. Just super cool guy. Funny stories that he tells. Oh my God. There's a kid. There's a couple of all of a sudden like skeletons just started coming out of the closet. We just started opening up <laughs> just complete nonsense. He beat somebody up while he was wearing a silver wig in his underwear. Like there's a whole, this, it's, it's, it's a shit show, but it's super right. funny. Like shout out to Bosky, man. Really good dude. Um, so yeah, man. So, so hopefully it doesn't come, come down to a GoFundMe or anything like that, which yeah, that, I'm glad. We, yeah, we're, I we're trying no to idea, like, I, I had no idea like what exactly was happening either. When I saw that you guys were moving, I thought I had no idea that like, you rented this place and now like he's selling it. Like I didn't know I was obviously I'll tell you, I, I thought I was like, Oh shit. Like this thing is really hitting them hard. So they have to leave there because of this, not because of other reasons as well. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, we, when we've moved in the past, um, and, and when I sent out a note with, with everyone that mail ordered during this time, um, I just tried to explain that it's almost always been our choice, right? Like we've outgrown a space. Let's go start looking for something new. We kind of did it on our own timeline. Right. And 
you know, with, with this, it's kind of like, you've got somebody above, you know, up the food chain. That's like, you know what, I'm going to do something for my own purposes and it affects everyone below it. So, you know, uh, my feeling when I realized this was like, you know what, we've been here for 13 years. I've enjoyed working in the space, but we're trying to do something. I think we're just trying to, you know, we're not putting out 20 records a year. You know, we're still, uh, going to continue to put out music and continue, you know, to, to, to work with new artists. Um, but it's not going to be at the same pace. So I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily need the same amount of space. You know, the, the, the space that I'm looking at has a retail component, which I think would be very cool to have our own kind of retail store space. Sure. Um, just because, you know, we've, we've been in a building that's, you know, I, I joke and say that it's in the armpit of the town we're in, but it's this old industrial complex that nobody can really visit because there's no, it's not easy to find anything. Um, whenever I meet a new UPS driver, I just apologize to them as they start the route. Cause I'm like, look at this, there's 13 buildings in this complex. There's three to four floors in every building. And there's probably a hundred small businesses in here. So good luck finding Oh everything. my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I mean, we've been here for 13 years and I don't think people down the street know we even exist. Right. Again, that might be a blessing, but oh, yeah, it is. sometimes it, it would be in the top. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kind of anonymous here. And, and it, I think um, it would be nicer to be a part, to be more of a part of a community locally. You know, we're a part of an amazing community uh, worldwide, but you know, here nobody knows we're really, really near. So we'll just might just be a different dynamic. Yeah. Hey man. Well, all the best to you. Now, Thank you. I have a complete off-topic question. You you said you you grew up you grew up in New Rochelle. So I no, I was born in New Rochelle, and first couple of years I was in Norwalk. So I was kind of in that you general have family place. in New Rochelle still, maybe not not anymore. No, not 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 anyone that's directly related. You know, okay. kind of generation by chance so. anywhere near Alfred Lane. Do you, do you uh, know? No, it was. Uh, I think it was Monroe Street. Okay. Yeah. The, o- the only reason why is because when you said New Rochelle, I'm not familiar with New Rochelle at all. But a couple of weeks ago, me and my girlfriend and my daughter, we went to Connecticut to go do a couple of things. And we went to, to go, we went to a cemetery. She wanted to go see Ed and Lorraine Warren's, you know, the, the paranormal people, like their yep. grave and this and that. And I do this whole urban exploration thing, this whole, this whole thing. And so on the way back down into New York, I looked at the GPS at the, at the, my, at my maps and I saw it's not out of the way that I can go back through down to down through new Rochelle and on Alfred lane. The only reason why is because a very, very famous part in the movie Goodfellas was filmed on that street. So I was wondering okay. if you lived anywhere near there. And if you knew that <laughs> completely off. Topic. I, no, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to know. Um, but you, it just speaking of uh, so cemeteries, I, I actually wanted to ask you because I saw that you're into photographing it, you know, do, taking photos of cemeteries, and, and that's kind of I a side hobby for my, yeah. myself as well. I love that stuff, bro. My girl does too. It's like yesterday, like I, I have my daughter usually every weekend, but yep. she had plans this weekend, so I didn't have it this weekend. She's like, All right, what do you want to do? So, Nine times out of ten, if there's no, especially now, there's no, there's no, nothing really to do. As far as you can't go to a movie, none of that stuff. And maybe we went out to dinner last night. We ate outside, but 
it's like, all right, well, there's, I have a whole folder in my phone of places that I want to either visit or spots from movies that I want to go. And what I'll do is like, like on Alfred Lane in New Rochelle, it's the scene where Karen's mother lives on one side of the street. And, and when, when, when Ray Liotta pistol whips the guy in the driveway across yep. the street, that's 14 Alfred Lane and 19 Alfred Lane. So I, so what I did was I go there and I'll take a screenshot from the movie or online or whatever. And then I'll stand at a certain angle. I'll take a bunch of different pictures and then yep. I'll put it to Photoshop and lay this, you know, the it's a before and after kind of, and I lay it and I line up the whole thing. You know what I mean? So I yep. do all that kind of stuff, but it's also like this whole thing. It's Danny boy from house of pain is the guy yep. that started all this stuff. He bought the, he bought the house, um, the outsider's house that was, yep. yeah, was filmed that. yeah. So, so we became friendly and then like, I'm like the New York city guy that does all this Delta Bravo urban exploration stuff. So, but it's like, whatever you're into, it's like some people do, like I do like a lot of true crime stuff. I like to go and find, sometimes you can kind of cheat and go onto Google and like there's certain websites where there'll be actual plot numbers of, of certain famous people, but sometimes they're not. And you got to kind of just, you know, look and search and explore. And it's like, it's like random stuff. Like yesterday, it's kind of like a nostalgia thing, like being a kid yesterday, we were in union, 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 union Hill cemetery, something like that. Yeah. In Queens. And we kind of knew where it was, but not really. And it sounds so stupid, but I I said, what's up? And I paid tribute to the guy who played the fucking Cowardly Lion in fucking Wizard of Oz, dude. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, what'd you do yesterday? Oh, I went yeah. to the Cowardly Lion's grave. What? Well, I yeah. tell you and then before yeah. that, it was like this this crazy mafia guy, uh, Salvatore Maranzano, that me and her were trying to find for a year, and we finally found them yesterday, and it was like this whole big, exciting thing. I love this awesome. shit. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, yesterday I was in a cemetery feeding turkeys. So it, That's awesome. <laughs> I want to feed turkeys in a cemetery. Yeah. It was, so I, I, I um, when I was in college as an art project, I did a photo mosaic of the Crimson Ghost skull. And I made it out of gravestone images. So I, I went around and I took photos of black and white gravestones and then found details on white gravestones where you see like old white gravestones and they have kind of blackened parts. Yes. And I, I, I photographed like a thousand gravestones looking for all these details to match up with this grid that I had drawn on a like six foot by six foot wall like of 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 like this mosaic of the crimson ghost yeah and this was pre-photoshop um you know pre-computers i mean i literally every single detail i made these little squares and then i drew the black and the white line and i had to find details that matched them on you know in these photos that i took yeah. and then i would in the dark room uh, enlarge the details on the pieces of paper and then used cutouts, piece squares of photo paper and, and developed each square. It wow. was, the, it was like the biggest ball busting project I had taken. <laughs> at the know, time. It just it, sounds tedious, man. It was, it was literally the most tedious thing, but it, it, it was a very cool image. And I made, when I moved to Boston, I made, I had posters printed of it. And that was one of the first things that I was doing to sell you know, on my own to 
raise a little extra money to put into the label. So, really? you know, I would go to shows and have like a little distro table with maybe the first couple records and some stickers and t-shirts, but I also sold these Crimson Ghost, you know, gravestone mosaics. Wow. And, um, and it was always just kind of a cool, you know, image that I had, had worked on. I mean, this is going back to, I think I designed, I made it in like 97 and then printed them as posters in 98. And, um, couple of years ago i mean i've always been interested in cemeteries and, and yeah, taking, me photos, too. taking photos of cemeteries and uh and i you know i started googling to see if anyone else had done something like this like has anyone else used images of grave details like these are like the the dates the parts of names you know yeah. things like inscriptions on gravestones and like the, and the carvings to create a larger image and I could not, there was nothing. I couldn't find anything. Like nobody else had done this in the 20 plus years. I'm like, I thought this was a pretty cool idea and uh, nobody had run with it. So I, I thought, you know, I live in Salem. Um, I've, I, you know, I, I don't do a lot. And I hadn't done a lot to, you know, I guess earn money because I live in Salem. You know, it's kind of yeah. where I lived and I didn't want to do, I didn't have any side hustles for years uh, related to Salem. But last year I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and make another mosaic. This time it's not going to be like cut and paste, you know, <laughs> yeah. one photo square at a time. Right. Um, but I went around and I took fo like photos of in all the cemeteries in Salem, and I made a mosaic of a witch in front of a moon. But it's just all it's all black and white gravestones, wow. and it's this you know this silhouette of a witch in front of a, a big full moon, and it's uses eight hundred and sixty four images of wow. all great you know you have a picture you know, of this i do I'll, I'll send it to you it's it's i think it's um it it actually have an instagram uh handle for it. it's uh gravestones of salem oh really and so yeah so what i would do is uh to my, kind of my girl my girl would love that it'll be up our alley i mean basically i i would go because there's like six cool cemeteries in salem that are easy to get to and like four of them, I drive by either on my way to the office or my way to my apartment. So every day, I haven't been able to do it much during COVID times because I've been so busy with everything else. But every day, I would make a point to go stop at one of them and take photos. And I'd put three photos on Instagram, you know, every day at some point, if, right. you know, either early in the morning when I was headed in or at sunset or randomly if I had to go run an errand, I'd stop at one. And it was just an opportunity to clear my head, you know, get a little bit of peace and quiet. And even if it was just 20 minutes yeah. of pull in, walk around a little bit. Um, but, uh, I would do that. And so I, I set up this Instagram page to kind of promote that and That's promote, promote the artwork, you know, based on these mosaics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like before, so. before we started recording, I said that we, we have plans on or around Halloween, like my girl's been dying to go there and I've never been there and I'm, I'm all in, you know, like, like you said, like I love walking around cemeteries. So when we're in the neighborhood, I'll hit you up and you give us yeah, like, like a hotel recommendation or what we can see. Like, I don't want, I don't want necessarily just the touristy stuff. I want like, you know, the stuff that like only heads know, only like the locals know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so you, know, you said, how old's your daughter? My daughter's, well, she's going to be a let, well, podcast time. She's 11 years old now. Okay. All right. So my, my daughter's nine and it's funny. I, I, we were out and about yesterday and we were headed back to uh, her mom's house. And I was, I asked her, I said, you know, it's still really nice out. Um, 
do you mind if we do a like a pit stop at this cemetery in Beverly? Because there's this beautiful cemetery that's overlooks the the ocean. And now I wanted to go in there and take some more photos for this new mosaic I'm working on. Um, I'm actually it's redoing. Right by Salem. It's right next to Salem. It's one town over. Yeah, it's one oh, town over. And I kind of ignored it last year when I was working on all uh, cemeteries that were specifically Salem. Um, and I wanted to go back and Georgia, she's, oh, my, my daughter, Georgia, she was, she's over it. She was like, no, you go have fun, walk around the cemetery. I'm gonna, I'm <laughs> yeah. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to go do my thing. Day. Sometimes my daughter looks at me, she rolls her eyes like, oh, again, we're going to Sleepy yeah. Hollow again. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to Sleepy yeah. Hollow. It's fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, she's, I mean, she's pretty supportive in other, in other ways. Sure. Um, so I've been, I've lived in Salem now for about 17 years and I love it. I love the, I love the Halloween aspect of it. I love the spookiness, you know, I love the, you know, there's a really, uh, it's a colorful community to be a part of. And, but for the first, I don't know, 12 years of living here, I didn't do a thing here. Like I, I went to the same coffee shop every day and I slept and went, you know, one town over to work. Um, and about five years ago, six, actually six years ago, I said, you know what? There's like a hundred thousand people that come throughout Halloween. Uh, I think there's like a hundred thousand people that come the day of Halloween. So it's, it's a pretty busy month. Sure. You know, getting in and out of the, the city can be a pain in the ass. So I, it's like, I, I want to, I, I, sh- I might as well try and do something to benefit from. Sure. So I had uh, bought an old step truck, uh, like a FedEx style, like the kind of truck they use for, for food trucks okay. and converted it into a little retail store for Sully's brand for the sports company. Right. I figured, you know, a lot of people from new England come to Salem for Halloween this is an opportunity to get in front of them, sell some of this sports stuff. I didn't make anything Salem related because really there's, a, there's $5 Salem t-shirts down the street. So I wasn't trying to compete with that. I'm just going to do our kind of Boston centric and sports centric stuff. Um, and that was cool for a couple of years. Did that for, you know, a few Halloween seasons. Like we'd set up every Friday, Saturday, Sunday with this truck and just open up the back and at stairs, you can walk in. It's, it's, it's kind of a boutique style. So it's, it's pretty nice. And um, about three years ago, so my daughter's nine now, and she was six. She drew every day, all the time, every, you know, just was always into drawing. So I said, why don't we, you know, like, let's take some of your drawings and make stuff out of them. You know, just like, it, you're adorable. And if you made things for Salem, you know, people that are visiting Salem, then I, you would crush. And, and yeah, so killing drew, it. Yeah, she she drew a skull, a ghost, and a jack o' lantern when she was six, and we just I, I I kind of mixed them up on a T-shirt, you know, wrote Salem, you know, designed Salem, Massachusetts around it, and yeah. put her little signature on it, and yeah. made I think seventy-two T-shirts, had a box of them printed, and I remember being outside like at this merch table that we had set up and thinking, oh man, I think I made too many. I, I, I think I overestimated how many friends and family I have that want to uh-huh. <laughs> you know, support her. And she, she, they, they, we sold out of them that like literally in two days. Really? Just, yeah. I mean, it was just tourists saw it and they saw her and like, wait, she drew that and then just boom, bought it. And so when she was seven, we took, we, we, we made enamel pins and stickers and magnets and she's made doll clothes now with her, with her designs. And, 
That's um, great. Just, yeah, like this whole big, like, uh, you know, kind of cottage industry of, of souvenir products based around Salem that are all for artwork. And so now that's kind of the thing that we do during October. And unfortunately this year, the vending is, is shut down. So uh, we're, we're not going to have the same, you know, uh, kind of opportunities right. as, as not previous years. Enough. But yeah, I got to look into, I mean, shit. I mean, I hope that there's even, I think I'm even going to be able to get a friggin' like a hotel room at this point. If I book for Pro- around there. Honestly, there probably is. There's a brand new hotel, like a big hotel that that's opening in, in the by Halloween. So, you know, I'll, I'll send you some recommendations. Oh, that would be um, awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to it for sure. Definitely. Nice. Yeah, it's like you got you like you have these these Salem, you know, you know, uh, cemeteries, which probably has crazy history. I mean, obviously, the Salem witch trials and all that crazy stuff has happened there and all that stuff. But like walking around in cemeteries here, I mean, there's something like it's what I heard that in Queens alone, because we have the cemetery belt. There's a whole belt of cemeteries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And in Queens alone, they estimate there's like 5 million people buried in Queens alone. Oh, I'm sure without a doubt, right? I mean, how many only people in Queens, live? That's only one borough. That's I mean, not how Greenwood people... Cemetery. That's, it's crazy. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many famous people. I mean, St. John's, it's like if you're into any kind of like mafia mobster stuff, that's like your heaven. Because almost everybody is buried in St. John's, from John Gotti to Lucky Luciano to all those guys. Then you have Greenwood, which is, you know, it's obviously, it's a a landmark and all that stuff. And like Abed Anastasia's there. But then, you know, like speaking of the Wizard of Oz, like the guy who played the wizard in the Wizard of Oz is in Greenwood. Bill the Butcher, like the guy from Gangs of New York, like the guy. Which I've actually gone and visited that grave. Yeah, that's in Greenwood. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. We did this whole thing. It was funny. I was talking about this today with a guy at work. I took a picture of him. I'm sure you've probably seen that crazy picture where he's wearing the top hat and he has the apron on and there's like a knife in his belt and he's holding a meat cleaver. It's all like sepia colored. It's like the craziest photo to me ever. But we, we found out like his whole history of the saloon where he was shot. It's on Broadway in Manhattan. Obviously the place looks completely different, but we went, for that, we, we took a picture of that, and then me and my girl, we, we, we walked, because he was shot in the saloon, and then he walked back to his house that day on Christopher Street down in the village. So we walked from there all the way to his house, and we're thinking, like, this is horse and buggy time, like, pretty much. It's like, this is a crazy long walk. And then we, we took a picture of the front of his house, and then we went to the graveyard, and we found, so it's like, where he got shot, where he died, where he's buried. You know, so I do a lot of that with a lot of different people, like several mobsters I've done that with, like John Gotti at his house yep. and like coming out of the funeral home in a gold casket to where he's buried, like all these full circle things. I love doing that shit, man. I'm all That's about awesome. New York has a ton of history. And have, oh, you ever seen the, have you ever seen the tax photos from the 1940s in New York City? Tax photos. There's an entire website dedicated to photographs that were taken in the 1940s for real estate tax purposes and somebody went and took a photo of every single building in the entire city yes and it's, it's like 19 it's like it's like 1940s nyc or 1940s dot nyc something like that is that what you're talking yeah, about yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I looked at it maybe at some point in the last year and it just, it was just trying to find, uh, you know, uh, addresses that were related to me from, you know, my, through my family and doing, yeah. you know, I didn't realize that was for tax purposes. I had no idea where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. There was, so they, there was a, it was basically a database of every photo photos of every building from that, that year, you know, which was just absolutely wild. And it's cool to be able to go back and see, yeah. you know, a lot of the details haven't changed at all. In fact, there were some streets where I was pulling up Google maps and like everything from, you know, the, the fire escapes, every little piece of metal work, it's all, it's, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, 70 years later, but it's all of the exact same original stuff. It's crazy. Right. And I believe yeah. if you go, I think it's, I think it's 1940s.myc, something like that. If, if anyone watching, if you're interested, just Google it, you'll find it. 1940s.myc and you'll get, you'll, you'll find it. But if you go there, there's a link and it's, it's like the top right and, the, and you click it, it's for the 80s. So yep. me, me being a kid, I'm like, all right. So I put in like 1468 East 93rd Street, Brooklyn. So now this is the 80s. So this is the time frame where I'm, I'm actually living there. So it's like, I click on it and I look and I'm like, like I was, that, that's my house frozen in time when I actually lived there. And it's crazy because that's exactly how it looks. Now it looks different because yep. brickwork is different. There's a different awning, you know, something is different about it. But that was my house when I was like seven years old. And it just brings you right back there. It's amazing. That's I love cool. that kind of stuff, dude. I love it. You know, I love that almost as much as I liked um, October 16, 2003. <laughs> this is the the boom and home run <laughs> yeah sorry part of me the 11th body of the 11th uh, yankee State, yeah. tim wakefield terrible so bad i feel bad you know it's it's all right we more made up for it afterwards but i mean i i, I mentioned when we when you when you uh first brought that up i yeah. was i'll tell you i was i was with a couple other guys we were selling t-shirts um mostly stuff riffing on the rivalry with the the Yankees of course um you know back then there was there was so many people down at Fenway Park even though it was an away game um we could still roll down with our carts and t-shirts to all the people in the bars right. and come going so i mean we were we were just absolutely crushing it leading up to that and through that you know in the beginning of that game but I remember being on Lansdowne Street, which is the one in the shadow of the Green Monster Wall next to Fenway Park, and you know Boone hitting that home run and just ending the game right there. And it was it literally everyone just their heads just dropped. Yeah, you know, it, it was just. I can imagine. I can was, imagine because that because my head dropped in in the the very next year in the yeah. NFTS. Like that was even more brutal. I mean, every single, I mean, the, all the air got sucked out of the, of the room when that happened. And then people, you know, there was no rioting. There was no people flipping over cars. I mean, literally just everyone's single file moved, walked out of the bars, up the street, and just went home. And licked their wounds. So, yeah, yeah. It was, it, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we were going back and forth on Facebook or whatever. And I was like, I told you, I was like, that game is probably like the most intense, insane game I've ever watched, baseball-wise. Yeah. Insane. And then, of course, ALCS, we're up three games to nothing. 
Yeah. And, and then you guys come back to go to the World Series, which happened to be the 100th World Series and ended, what was it, your 83 or 84-year drought? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, you know what? Let me, I got something to show you here. This is, <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't gotten these in yet, but we're, the sports company is going to be selling these. these are, uh, it's a puzzle. Okay. Uh, all the bumper stickers that we awesome. made, you know, from, from you know, all the, all the years outside of Fenway Park. And right here it says, so you got, um, warning, like the 2004 Yankees, there is a choking hazard. <laughs> contains small parts. Nice. <laughs> so, Touche. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's like I, I gave – I'm not as wrapped up into sports as I was because I gave the Yankees every single range of emotion possible. You know what I mean? From in the eighties when they, when they didn't do anything to especially the mid nineties, the strike and then the mid nineties is the whole dynasty. Every time you mentioned like, Hey, I was here in college and I, whatever, 97, I'm thinking Yankee dynasty, Yankee dynasty. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, um, so that that whole thing, and then, you know, obviously the crushing 2004, and then you know, so I went through every single range of emotion, and I'm guessing I'm guessing you're a Patriots fan. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, so I, I, I got to be honest. When I, I mean, there's when I was a kid, I was a huge Red Sox fan. Um, growing up in Upper County, I mean, it's all, I mean everyone was a Red Sox fan and, and there's, I, I would go up to Fenway and there's photos of me and, you know, head and toe and, and Red Sox gear. But then, you know, and it might've been in a similar arc, like you, you know, I was, became, you know, I was a teenager. I got into skateboarding and all sports went right out the window. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. when, I mean, I played little league until I think through eighth grade and then it got serious. And at that point I didn't care anymore. Right. Um, so I, I just tuned out for sports for, yeah. for years and years. And when I moved to Boston, you know, I lived a mile away for, or so from Fenway Park, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, right? Like I was still into skateboarding and still into, yeah. you know, just focusing on punk rock. And, and I just, it, it was the opportunity at Fenway to help fund the record label that drew me back in. So... Go. You know, I mean, and I was when I was a kid. I mean, one of my prized possessions, I think, was a uh, Don Mattingly rookie card. You know, nineteen eighty four tops. My, my favorite Yankee. Yeah, you know, and and uh, but the uh, you know the the sentiment against the Yankees in the the late nineties in Boston was was rough. Yeah, it was rough. It you was know, rough. Yankees Yankees suck was was literally you heard it at every Red Sox game regardless of if they're playing the Yankees and of course you know, if you went to a concert it would break out I mean it was it was kind of that was the, the and it wasn't obviously it wasn't because I mean there was the, the Yankees had a, a, a whole handful of rings from you know the previous oh, decades so sure. it wasn't that they were a bad team but it was just you know the Yankees rivalry man it was rivalry. Well, it was, it was a riot and, and Yankees fans. I mean, you'll probably, uh, you know, I mean, they were a little cocky at that of point. Course, and, and, of course. And so, so, so Boston fans, you know, were just like anything they didn't like, they were like, ah, they suck. Yeah. You know, so it, it just became, <laughs> it, it just, it just was a, you know, a, it became a, you know, a, a, a rallying cry. It was yes. something that it was funny. Yankees suck, united Red Sox fans 
in a way that the Red Sox organization couldn't do on their own. You're you know, welcome. I think, like, yeah. You know, You're it, welcome. Like, it, it, everyone, <laughs> it, it brought everyone together. We've got this common enemy. Yes. Um, you know, and, and thankfully, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I obviously was a big part of uh, pushing that kind of that, that separation and like the, the, you know, feeding the rivalry. Um, but after some time, it, it got to the point where it, it was, it got played out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and you, you, you get to the point too, where it's like, it's fun to, to talk shit on the other team, but yeah. like some people started taking things a little too seriously. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it, like at that point, if it's just not, you know, yeah. Wasn't cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's always fun though. I had to because I don't think I've ever spoken Yankees, uh, Yankee Red Sox with anybody on here ever. So I had yeah. to you know, had to break your chops a little bit, and that's why no. I, I wanted to know if you were a, a Patriots fan because I'm a miserable diehard Jets fan. Yep. But but a lot of people are like, how could you be a Jets fan? But I actually respect, and I am a, a, unless the Jets are playing the Patriots. I root for the Patriots. I really do. Because I yeah. happen to absolutely love Bill Belichick. I nice. love that guy. Because he's such a smug asshole. <laughs> and it's just, it's just with his stupid sweater. And he gives the media nothing. Like, yeah. I love that about him. So, hats off to And they're a great team. I can't say that they suck. Because they yeah. just don't. They, just, they kick Jets ass all the time. And I hate yeah. that. But I respect them because I love Bill Belichick. Yeah. Love that guy. He's such an asshole, but I love that about him. Oh man, <laughs> we had we well. That's in the same way that you know, we we felt like that about about Yankees fans. You know, they mm-hmm. were they were so smug. I remember we used to one of our best selling T shirts in the early two thousands. It, it's so dumb, but it just said. Take your twenty six rigs and shove them up your ass. That's what you need to say. That's great. We sold we sold so many of those, but it was just because like people were tired of hearing it, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> but for 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 listeners who aren't familiar with where this at, at, this is out of context, um, you know the uh, the I and with friends went to Fenway Park to specifically to sell. Yankee suck and rivalry kind of themed merchandise um, in the, like from 2000 on uh, really just as an, a, a means to an ends, you know, it, it wasn't because I was the biggest sports fan. It was like, Oh wait, these people are at, there's 38,000 people in this stadium and they're there for four hours and I can catch them maybe on the way in and the way out. Yeah. You know, and, and at the time I was, you know, I was making, you know, I, I think it was just a little over minimum wage at Tower Records in their art department. Um, and I needed money to invest in the bands that I wanted to work with. You know, I was putting out one record a year. So I did my, you know, the label started in 96. First record came out in nine. I'm sorry, the label started in 95. First record was 96. Did one in 97, two in 98, one in 99. So it was very part-time. It was just... Um, whenever I could scrounge something together and it was really just like one a year. Yeah. In 2000, I put out three records and that the, the biggest one being American nightmare, you know, the, at the time, uh, two of those guys were my roommates. I, you okay. know, they were people I, I lived with and it was, um, it was really just, it was, it was just like, Oh, you're my friends and you've got this new band. Um, 
let's do a, a seven inch. And it, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it made sense. Um, but they were the first band to tour, uh, outside of new England and really build a lot of interest. So they needed a lot to kind of help give them a good push. And where are you going to come up with the, I mean, really tens of thousands of dollars to, to give like, to, 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 to really, you know, to promote, to make posters and, and take out ads and, you know, make, you know, seven different colors of vinyl and CDs and all these different things that you need to do when you're pushing a band. Um, and it really was just going to Fenway Park because banks aren't giving loans out. You're not, you know, I didn't have any, uh, there was no GoFundMe. There was no friends or family that were, you know, crowdsourcing to make whatever it was happen. You just had to, you had the money or you didn't. And if you didn't have it, you had to go find it. So much like I think a lot of people that are, are kind of bootstrapping their own projects, I said, well, you know, if I try and make money with Bridge Nine, it's going to be very slow, right? I was putting literally one record out a year. It took me the whole rest of the year to earn that back. So the opportunity at Fenway Park where you've got 38,000 people in one spot and everyone's chanting Yankees suck, it was a, it was easy, you know. At first, I just put no it on. No painter, man. Sure. Yeah, I just put it on bumper stickers and enamel pins and buttons, and you know, we even had like little temporary tattoo packs and all the all these flags, all, all these little handheld flags. And and I remember at the time, it was just uh, not knowing if anyone. I mean, I knew it was a pretty sure thing. If I make this, you know, it's, if you build it, they're going to come. But I, while I had always hustled and sold. I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I lived near a golf course. So I would go and walk through the woods and find all the golf balls and put them in egg cartons and sell them on the side of the road across. There was an abandoned house across the street and I just set up a card table and sold, sold golf balls, you know, and, and I always had these little things that I tried to do. So I was comfortable, um, putting myself out there, but this was the first time where I was like, all right, I'm just going to stand on the street with a backpack and a sign and try and stop people as they're leaving and sell them things. And so I didn't really know what to expect when I did it. But that first night, it was in April of 2000, I walked away with more money that first night than I had made the whole week at my day job. Great. You know, literally just selling bumper stickers, like two bucks each, three for $5. And it was just like big, bold Yankee suck. And literally, uh, uh, crowds would just come, you know, fully around me and, and just literally just go like this, like making transactions. Yeah. So I, I realized at that time, I was like, oh, sorry, there's something here. And did that for a couple of years, just selling small things. Uh, there was uh, a guy that's, there was a couple different crews that sold t-shirts um, at the time. One of the crews was uh, my, a couple of my roommates and friends, other roommates, and um when the guys that they were inspired by quit, I started making t-shirts and, and kind of set up uh, next to them. And we, we kind of, I mean, at, the, at that, you know, in early 2003, 2004, um, every vendor selling t-shirts outside of Fenway Park was, for the most part, either one of my friends or somebody that was in a band. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was the side hustle for a lot of hardcore kids in, in the Boston area. Um, so that was the you know, from 2000, we had three records, 2001, we went to a dozen, wow. 2002, like 13, 2003, 14 records. And it, you know, 
culminated with doing over 20 records a year. And early on, all of that was bankrolled by, by Boston Red Sox fans. Wow. That's great, so, man. Fucking hustle and you get shit done, man. You work and you get things done. It's awesome. Yeah, well, you just got to figure, you know, you just got to find a way. And, yeah. and, you know, I love hearing the creative stories about people that are like, well, they have a problem and how are they going to earn the money to, to do it, whatever it is they want to do. And, and we were just, I was just very lucky to be in, in the right place at the right time with that rivalry just at a tipping point. Oh, you know, yeah. there was, I mean, and it, we would get into fights and it wasn't even with Yankees fans. It was with Red Sox fans that were pissed off that the Red Sox had just lost. Right. And it would, you know, <laughs> they would, they would start shit or they would try and steal stuff from us. You know, like it just, it was, um, it was almost never with Yankees fans. Right. Because we were too good for that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say that, but. No, me like, neither. I'm just breaking chops. Yeah. It's uh, fucking funny, man. So that's dope. That, that, that's dope, man. Like, so, like I said, we will be eventually be coming to, I'm going to start, I'm going to start looking up information for Salem. Um, yep. Uh, that whole, I definitely wanted to go over that whole rivalry thing with you because it's just funny. It just brings me back to good times. Um, yeah. Well, I just want to point out the irony being I've gotten some flack for, for being the Yankee suck guy or doing, being involved with Yankee suck at, at that time. Yeah. What? But, man, who cares? It's great. Look at all the bands that, that benefited from it, whether it's agnostic front or on the rise or underdog or the project X reissue, you know, or crime and stereo or backtrack. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was, uh, you know, the antidote reissue. I mean, there was, there was a lot of, of love with, uh, New York bands. Obviously, I mean, growing up in Connecticut, I, I was inspired and influenced by bands from Boston and bands from New York. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I remember years ago, back, I think it was in 2008, we were doing a music video for H2O. H2O um, and I, for whatever reason, had a, had a courier bag that had a Yankee suck flag in it, this five foot wide flag. And, and Toby was on stage in between takes because it's this live music video um, performance and was just talking shit about me being involved with Yankee suck and how the Boston guy, you know, their labels, the Boston guy. And, and so I, uh, I threw, I threw the flag out of the courier bag from the balcony and threw it down at them. And they like picked it up and like, didn't know what it was. And they like opened it. And I got, a, somebody got a photo of Toby uh, holding a Yankee suck flag on a in New York. So I, I think I sat on that for about 10 years before I let anyone know it existed. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so, Another yeah. band so, that's great that you did that you put records out for. I mean, oh, and that's been an absolutely incredible opportunity and experience. I mean, I love those guys and I was an H2O fan before Bridge Nine started, you know, and right when I was in idea, um, you know, they were getting started and when they were still doing their one song. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I seen them doing that one song. My love is real. It was like yep. Long Island. It was, I don't remember who the first band was, but it was, Biohazard sick of it all. And it was like the beginning of like the Urban Discipline tour. It was like the Just Look Around record and Urban Discipline. Yep. And it was at the Roxy in Long Island. And it was towards the end of the Biohazard set. And like Marauder came up with, when they still had Minus in the band. They did like one song. Toby came out with H2O. They did like one song. It was like, I think like at the time, I think like Rick came out and they did like a 25 to Life song. Because all those guys were all still together at that point. But 
Yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember seeing when they just had that one song and then next thing you know, they're coming out with records and it's like, now look where they are, you know? It's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty fucking Yeah, cool. I mean, we started, I started working with, with H2O in 2007. We agreed to do the Nothing to Prove record and that came Great out record. in the spring 2008. You know, so we, I've been working with them 13 years. I mean, more than half of my label and their bands has been collaborating and it's, it's been great. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, I can't say it enough that I, with this whole fucking shit that's going on, I, I, I hope everything pans out. I hope that you guys flourish in this shit. Um, I mean, everyone who's listening, like go to bridgeline.com get shit you said you're gonna put out more um are you gonna put out more mystery boxes or anything like that we, we might do some more i don't know if we will have by by the time this airs but we i mean we've got a bunch of you know new and remixed bridge nine merch um we're doing some 25th anniversary pressings of some of the records we've worked on over the years like some of we did like for american nightmare we did a, an all silver edition earlier in the year and nice. we have seven or eight more of these that we're working on that kind of just kind of we're on the back runner now while we've been dealing with everything, but we'll, right. we'll start to release those uh, later in the fall and going into next year. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah. So if there's, if, if people are on the sidelines and there's, there's something that, you know, you've been meaning to check out or, if, you know, if you have an opportunity to, I mean, I know a lot of people are in a, are in a tough spot as well. So, you know, we, we don't ever want to be like, Hey, come help. You know, but if, if, if people are in a position to, to do something, please come our way and it'll, it'll help us get through the next hump. Because I mean, anyone that's moved uh, knows it's 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 rough. And I mean, we've got collectively about ten thousand square feet of stuff that I just don't even you know. I'm not even looking forward to it. Right. So, you know, every every bit helps. Yeah. Crazy shit, man. Yeah, I, I saw I saw those 25th anniversary shirts. I'll give grab a hoodie or something like that without a doubt. They're nice. Um. So now, like I said before, we started recording. Um. I put I put this out raw just like this on YouTube and I run it on the Facebook, on the Facebook group. But for the audio version, I have to ask you to pick, I don't know, one, two, three songs of whatever bands you want from obviously from Bridgeline records. And we'll, we'll close out with a couple of songs. Cool. Um, completely up to you. You're on the spot and I know you have a thousand bands and a million songs, but it's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the one that just because it's, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of American Nightmare's first record. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, this is off the second record, but I think the, 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 this, the sun isn't getting any brighter. Might be a cool song to put on just because, you know, that at the time, like I said, they, these guys were, they were roommates. It was Bridge Nines. I think the two singles were the seventh and the ninth releases that I'd put out. Um, and it was just such an organic uh, experience getting in the tour van with them and, and, and traveling to, you know, their first West Coast tours and uh, the first, you know, the first trip to Europe um, going with them. So, you know, it's it in terms of just being a symbolic release for where the, the label was at that time and where it's gone. Yeah. Um, I'd probably start there. Awesome. So we got that. You want to pick another one? Yeah. Do. um. I mean, do, do, um, nothing to prove by H2O, you know, that's, that's a, that was an incredible comeback record for them. I mean, it was the first release that they had done, I think in seven years when that came out Yeah, and you know, it's, 
at this point, uh, I mean, I, I love everything that Bridge Nine has done and, 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 and all the things that we're working on continuing to keep doing. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, we're just going to keep, keep going, keep doing this. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's just something that I love doing. Yeah. And, uh, but at one point I think I realized like I've, I remember I, I got a little bit of uh, flack for doing some leases that weren't out. They were a little bit more outside of the box. They weren't very, they weren't as straightforward. I mean, I know a lot of people look at Bridge Nine and they see a straightforward hardcore label, but we've worked with a bunch of different bands, you know, that, that, that kind of mix it up. And um, I, I thought at one point I was like, you know, I'm going to put out a hundred hardcore records. And then at that point, just say, fuck off. If, if you don't like what Bridge Nine's doing, start your own label. You know, right. I put out a hundred independently released hardcore records yes. and I, obviously we've, we've since uh, surpassed that quite a bit, yeah. but I, when that happened, I was like, you know what, we've got at this point, nothing to prove. Like just now we're just doing it for the fun of it. I mean, I mean, there was a lot of hustle going on and, and, and I took things very seriously for, for many years, but I just love doing it. And I just want to, you know, I think that song is a uh, representative of where, you know, where I'm at. Sounds good to me, man. Sounds pretty fitting. Um, all your social medias bridge at, at bridge nine on Instagram. Are you on Twitter? Yeah. Right. Bridge nine. Yep, as well. yeah, Twitter. It's Twitter, Twitter, bridge Twitter. nine at this point. It's 2020. It's just, just Google bridge nine. You'll find yeah, yeah. it everywhere. You'll, you'll find us. <laughs> yeah. Now I will, I'll do the bridge version, but I do have to shout out my sponsors as well. Um, if you go to at the Brooklyn blast furnace on Instagram, if you just hit the link in the bio, you'll find every platform on social media and every podcast platform where I'm available. And there's, there's like a hundred other like overcast and podcast addict. There's a million platform podcast platforms that I'm on, but all the major ones are up there. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, all that. But my sponsors real quick. Um, first we'll go with, are you a coffee guy, Chris? Are you? I, so <laughs> I'm going to say I am. I, I drink coffee every single day. Okay. Um, every morning I go to the same, pretty much the same place every day. Um, but it's, I drink ice mochas. So, and I have literally for 17, I, whenever I started getting, you know, getting into that, like, okay. like pretty much since I moved to Salem, um, a lot of people argue that that's not really a real coffee, but it's a gimmick coffee. But it's yeah. coffee, you know. You know, it's 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 uh it's it's ice and chocolate and 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 I I dig it. But honestly, for me, it wasn't so much about drinking coffee in the for the sake of, of drinking coffee. Like I I would you know I, I go to a small community coffee shop. Like I think like probably like most people do. But like I like to go and sit there. So I uh, you know COVID is obviously thrown that out the window. But prior to that, every morning I would go and just grab a table and just sit there. And some mornings I'd stare at my phone, you know, other mornings I'd read a newspaper if the phone was out or, you know, the other, you know, third of the time, uh, somebody that I would know from the, from the neighborhood of the community would come in and sit down. And it was just nice to just hang out for 45 minutes, you know, have, have a coffee and just catch up with people and, and chat with people, people that I, I don't wouldn't normally hang out with, right. but, you know, some, it's funny, two of the businesses that I have some of the most respect for in Salem are, you know, one is a brewery, uh, old, this old early Boston's hardcore fan started a brewery and it's, it's, it's really, really cool. 
I don't drink beer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm straight edge. So I'm like the worst customer for him. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I respect his, his business sure. and, and, uh, and, and the other guy, uh, owns a, like a glass, like, uh, like head, like, like bongs and stuff. Like they do a custom right. you know, blown glass. And, uh, again, I, I, I'm, I don't, hey, you don't not, so pop. <laughs> you know, I don't, but, but like he's, I mean, I, they, both of these guys, um, it's a company called notch and a company called witch doctor. And they, they, um, the amount of quality that they put into their brands is incredible yeah. and inspiring. And, um, so I connect with them on that, on that level. Yeah. So it's nice to, we you know, there's a few, and there's a, a woman that owns a, um, a, a Salem based, uh, candle company called Witch city wicks. Um, we joke without, we would at least once a week sit down for, you know, good 45 minutes or an hour. Uh, you know, just, we call it business therapy, you know, where we would just sit down and, 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 and vent about things that we're dealing with. And um, yeah, so, so th- that was what I really enjoy. That's the part of coffee that I enjoy. Nice. You know, I don't have a coffee maker at home. I yeah. just, I like to go sit down um, and, and connect with people. Do you like iced coffee? Yeah, so almost exclusively. Yeah. All right. So here, get in on this, Chris. It's right up your alley, bro. Dead yeah. sled coffee, very horror centric. They're actually, they're actually, doing a custom blend with legitimately with Robert Englund with Freddy Krueger. Nice. Yeah. Dead sled coffee. D E A D S L E D coffee. Um, follow them on Instagram at dead sled coffee. They have no joke. They have the sickest cold brew. So you don't need to You don't need a thing. They come in bags and you yep. throw it in a pitcher and you add water and you put it in your refrigerator eight hours later, the best cold brew ever. And I'm not just saying yeah. that because they're a sponsor, like for real. Yeah, it's well, you know, so, it's ridiculous. You'll you'll appreciate this. We talked a little bit about my daughter's uh, spooky kind of Salem artwork. Yes. Uh, there's a, a a coffee company that's um, in the Salem and Beverly uh, area near us, and they reached out to us about licensing her artwork for their Halloween themed bags of coffee. That's great. So, yeah. So so they're 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 going to pay her for every bag of coffee they sell, and they're, it's going to feature her artwork. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a, another little coffee connection we have. See, there you go. And, but if you, you Chris, if you go to deadsledcoffee.com, right? <laughs> yep. And you type in the promo code Brooklyn Blast, yep. you get 15% off your order, right? And any order over $40, free shipping. Right to you. But, wait. but wait, there's more. No, there's more. That's all you need to know. Discounts, awesome coffee. They even have tea. Iced tea, regular tea, whatever you want. Dead sled coffee, right? Um, <laughs> also, uh, Generation Records, since 1992 in the West Village, located at 210 Thompson Street um, in the West Village. Go Incredible to, record store. Uh, unbelievable. Um, uh, uh, it's, it sounds cheesy, but it's like, it's like an honor to be uh, like sponsored by them because they really don't sponsor anybody. Um, so... Follow them on Instagram at Generation Records. You go to generationrecords.com. There's, they have their, um, it's like a, uh, what is it called? It's like a big, not a big cartel. It's, you know, it's a, you know, come on. You're a record label yeah. guy. Um, like a, just an online record store? Like yeah, just, uh, yeah, yeah, like that. Like that. There's also like a link to their eBay page. And like you can get a lot of stuff that they have in the brick and mortar spot online. But so far they have survived this whole thing and they're open again. 
So if you if you're in the New York City area and you want to go back to an to an old school record store where there's vinyl and they have books and they have tons of merch downstairs and everything, check them out. Generation Records, two ten Thompson Street, Generation Records on Instagram. Then, how about this one, Chris? I got to ask you a question. <laughs> it's what do you got? What I got? How do you feel? about a nice new brand new pair of socks on your feet, Chris. <laughs> I, uh, socks, socks are great, especially when they're red. Right. <laughs> when they're red. Right. Of course they are. <laughs> but they're spelled improperly. Um, all right. So yeah, probably uh, this guy's going to start talking about socks. But I'm not going to say they were really a sponsor, but I'm helping out because Billy from Bio has it actually reached out to me and he was like, yo, you wanted like to help put the word out for this. Hey, um, which Billy, Billy, shout out to Billy. He's great. We did a Billy Bio seven inch last year. So awesome. you know, he, he's on the, uh, he's know, on the he's, roster. He's on the roster. Awesome. So now it's called Crew Socks, C-R-U-S-O-X, crewsocks.com. It's not only about socks. What they do, it's a, it's a husband and wife team. I believe they were both teachers. Um, I don't know how they started getting into socks, but they did, but it wasn't just about that. What they do is they have like a, um, like a, a give back model. So what they do is if you buy one pair of socks, they donate a pair of socks to people in need. So how they work is, and you buy two pairs of socks, they'll donate three pairs of socks to people in need. You buy three pairs of socks, they donate five pairs. So I always mess this up. So this is the only thing I have written down. So for the first pair of socks sold on each order, they'll donate one pair of socks to those in need. For every additional pair on the same order, they donate two pairs for each additional pair on the same order. Wow. You understand? Yeah. So yeah. crewsocks.com. It's, it, it's more about giving back. And who doesn't like a nice pair of socks? Sure. Okay. And now this, I, I really, I, I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I do have a, a screen printing company that is that is a sponsor. Hey, that's that's cool. New Republic Printing. Go to newrepublicprinting.net. You go. I feel I feel terrible saying this, but I have to, man. Um, you go to newrepublicprinting.net. There's a drop down menu. You can get pretty much anything anything you want something printed on. They can print it for you. Um, there's no screen fees. There's no setup fees. And if you have your stuff delivered to a commercial address. It's free UPS ground shipping. Um, he's located, I think, in like Birmingham, Alabama. I, I, I've been using him way before the podcast, before podcasting was even a thing. I've been using him for about 12 years. Um, so go to newrepublicprinting.net. And I'm sorry, but what's your, what's your printing company again, Chris? It's called Liberated Images. Go check them out, too. Check, check us out, out, too. Without a yeah. doubt. I feel guilty, but I have no, to. No, don't do this. There's uh, <laughs> some amazing print shops, and everyone's got their their guy. So right, exactly. Yeah, yeah man. So cool, man. Yeah, listen, this was awesome. I can't. Believe we went an hour and forty minutes. Nice. Well, That's hey, cool. thank you for having me on here. No, nah, dude, thank you so much. I wish you nothing but the best with the label, with everything. I will be in contact with you because we're gonna pick your brain about cemeteries and cool shit in Salem. Once I book a hotel or I'll look into that hotel that you said it's opening up, I'll definitely be in contact. You put it out there. So I'm going to hit you up and be like, where should we go? And uh, maybe we'll get together and we'll have a cup of coffee. Please do it. Like if you're, yeah, if you're coming up here, it's funny. I, I, I've, I've been known to show people around when they come through Salem. Um, I had some friends that came up from London that, uh, 
you know, they were excited to see everything. And I was like, oh, you got to see it. There's this great historic cemetery. It's, you know, we went over and, and unfortunately they've been closing the cemetery. I think the cemetery, I think they're actually doing renovations on it or around it. Okay. Um, but I, I brought them through it and they're like, yeah, this is, this is cool. But there's a cemetery a thousand years older than this down the street from my house, you know, oh, in, in England. Awesome. So, so it's obviously all a matter of context. But, sure. Uh, yeah, but any still, new place, like, listen, yesterday I went to Union Field Cemetery. I was never there yeah. ever in my life to go see the Cowardly Lion. It's right in Queens. I was never there. We were like, this is awesome. So yeah. just to be in Salem and the whole history of Salem and, and all that stuff, like, we're looking forward to doing it. It's been a long time coming. So we're definitely going to do this this year. And I'll definitely be in contact, man. Awesome. Everybody who's listening, smarten up and support Bridge Nine. Well, I appreciate it very much. No, without a doubt, man. Anything. Anytime, just uh, I don't know why, but 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 for whatever reason, if you need anything from me, just just don't hesitate to ask. I'll try to help you wherever I can. No, thank you. I mean, this 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 uh, medium and and just connecting is, I mean, when I moved to Boston, I didn't really know a lot of people. Right. So the first thing I did was I started a newsletter where I just, I mean, you know, this was, I mean, ninety eight, ninety nine, so. It, it was, uh, I mean, the internet existed, but it was, it wasn't the same. So I would go around and, and do, uh, interviews and 20 questions with, with bands and, and put them in this thing. But it, for me, it was just a way to just connect with people, Sure, you know, people that were doing things. And, and, uh, and a, a lot of the people that I interviewed back then, I mean, this is 21, 22 years ago, I'm still, I still know, I still deal with, I still, you know, collaborate with. And, um, you know, so starting a podcast doing, I mean, it's just, just connecting with people. It's just sure. awesome. Yeah, man. Get people through these times too. Maybe if they yeah. would, you know, something to kill some time, listen to on your way to work. Hopefully if you're still working. Yeah. You know, Chris, thank you so much, man. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much. Anytime, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, man. Later, brother.